Welcome to Invoking Witchcraft, the podcast where the sacred and profane come out to play. So call the quarters and set the round. It's time for another episode. Welcome back to Invoking Witchcraft. My name is Jay Allen Cross, and today I am actually flying solo without Britain. Britain has a therapy appointment scheduled at this time, and on this podcast, we prioritize mental health and we talk about it because there should be no stigma with these things. So if you have a therapy appointment today, make sure that you make it. But to make up for Britain not being here, I do have a wonderful friend here. I have Corey Hutchison, friend of the podcast, who runs their own podcast, New World Witchery, as well as having out their own book called New World Witchery, which is a literal trove of North American folk magic. This is a tome. It is enormous, and I love everything in it. Corey, how are you? Thank you, Jay. I'm fine. I was actually, I was wondering, I was going to maybe come in and be like, and this is Britton Boyd at Archaic Honey on Instagram and just see if I could see how long I could fake it as we went through. But no, I'm glad, I'm glad you kept me honest. I appreciate that. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. I love that. You know, we could have gotten through, but you know, Britton has such a very specific energy. They do. do. Yeah, (laughs) for sure. Yeah. But I love that. Yeah, for sure. So how are you doing this morning, Corey? I'm all right. I'm working myself into the the Yuletide season and the Yuletide uh, frenzy. I'm, you know, at, they've got finals to grade, of course. That's always a thing. But then, then I get to turn my attention to this wonderful season that we have of you know the Yuletide lights and the Yuletide uh, you know, gifts and and feasts and you know everything is you know carbs and, <laughs> and carbs and sugar as far as the eye can see, and then you get all that kind of weird, crazy, dark stuff that comes in this season too. And I love that so. Yes, it's such an interesting time because on one hand, it's kind of very bright and very cheery. And on the other hand, too, it's also the darkest time of the year. Oh, yes. There's there's a lot kind of lurking beneath Christmas, which I do like, and all the other holidays that we have around this time of year, which is wonderful. I um, I actually got home last night from from all places, Las Vegas, um, and then we we immediately watched uh, Klaus, which is an animated (laughs) kind of holiday film, which I had not seen yet. It came out a few years ago. And uh, I was not ready for it. I was encased in, in a glass case of emotion, um, just <laughs> unable to deal with all the feels. It was a beautiful, beautiful movie. So I am officially in the holiday spirit. And that is uh, why we have asked uh, Corey to come on today, because they are just an, uh, yet another trove of holiday information. Now, you said that you did um, an important, what was, was it your dissertation on yes. holidays? Yeah, so my dissertation was on the Philadelphia Krampuslauf, which is a uh, big parade that celebrates this this um, sort of anti-Santa dark figure of uh, Krampus. Um, it's since transitioned to being called the Parade of Spirits, and it actually features a whole range of, of different uh, kind of ho- sort of dark holiday figures and things like that. But that was my dissertation. I did that, and I kind of looked into uh, some other figures um, that we have in the area. So, for example, the Belsnickel, who we have up here in kind of the Pennsylvania German area. And we'll get to, I'm sure we'll talk about all that. You actually have, um, if, if, if you're, because you're over in kind of uh, Western Oregon, uh, I know Portland actually has a Krampuslauf. That was one of the Krampuslaufs that I contacted as part of my research project. So um, there, there are actually these little Krampuslauf pockets all over the country if you if you just look around you can find them so they're, they're a lot of fun i love that and i think kind of over the last few years we've seen a definite rise in kind of krampus uh tomfoolery or you know around this time of year you know there's kind of you know parades or people dressing up in and actually around in my town which is kind of a very small town um there have been now krampus decorations mm-hmm. cropping up have you noticed that as well Oh, sure. Yeah. The Krampus had a real heyday there. Um, there was the movie that came out, I think it was 2016 or 2017, um, that had like Adam Scott and just this whole, uh, you know, it was, it, I think people didn't know what to do with it. It's a very kind of like, it's a holiday movie, uh, but it's also a horror movie and it's kind of like Gremlins where it's sort of funny, but also terrifying. And so, so that kind of, I think, elevated Krampus's um, social, social currency for a minute there too. Absolutely. And I, I really love that one because I mean, I am I love everything with Tony Collette in it. She's sure arguably my favorite actress. Uh, but they did do a very interesting job where like it was one part kind of like Griswold family Christmas meets like 
slasher monster movie Black Christmas kind of feeling. <laughs> yeah. So it was a very interesting uh, a crossover between the two genres. And I thought that that was something that you don't see very often. And I, I really appreciate yeah. it. Yeah, I, I really love it when when films do that. Um, we have just kind of a small handful. There's another one, if you get a chance to see it, called Rare Exports that's from, I think, Iceland. Um, that's very similar to this, that has the kind of like evil Christmas comedy, but also definitely a horror kind of thing going on. Yes, we just watched that the other day. Okay. It was, um, yeah. I, I follow an account on Instagram called Macabish. Mm -hmm. um who does all these kind of horror movies and around this time they do they do kind of holiday horror films and so mm -hmm. that was one that they had highly suggested and so we watched it the other day and it was very good i was yeah. i had no idea what to expect really going into it but it was yeah. very different but it was also weirdly kind of upbeat but also terrifying at the same time yeah it was weirdly like kind of like oh what a ray of hope in a time of darkness also santa is going to literally kill and eat everyone in the village kind of thing which is right? just this like shocking revelation not to not to spoil the film but it they they reveal that pretty pretty soon into the film i think so yeah yeah it's, it's, it's kind of built right into it maybe <laughs> santa or the elves or something is, is coming to get you the yeah the guy that they have the actor i can't remember his name who who plays kind of the original guy that they find that kind of sets mm -hmm. it all off um did a very good job very eerie chilling very strange and we don't get a lot of kind of finish movies around over here that often. So sure, yeah. Job that. yeah. Yeah. All right. All right. So we have brought Corey on today, of course, to tell us about these wonderful stories. So I want to kind of start um, in one area because I, I love the weird things. Sure. I love the strange things, the things that you don't often hear about. So in your holiday explorations in this kind of folk area, did you come across anything that you're like, okay, that's, that's odd or kind of a weird Christmas gremlin type thing that comes. What what do we have in the, in the category of, of strange and, and odd? Oh, there's so many. There's so so many. Um, uh, I'll, I'll actually start. I'll tell you about a little story. So I used to live in Prague, um, uh, over in the Czech Republic, and Christmas is a big deal around there. They have a lot of interesting stuff that goes on. But one of the traditional things that you do is you have a um, a meal of fried carp or carp soup on. Christmas Eve, um, you know, formerly Catholic country fish for, you know, um, for Christmas Eve makes a lot of sense. But what they do is so as you get up to the last two weeks of uh, the holiday season, you start seeing all these giant, you know, like kiddie pools full of carp, like crammed full of carp where these things can barely move, um, kind of pop up on the street corners all throughout this like major metropolitan city. And there's just these kind of like surly looking dudes in booths standing next to the carp. And what you do is you go up and you, you know, tell them which carp you want. And they take it out and they have a big stick and they beat the living <laughs> the head of the carp and then kill the carp, take, take the head off, uh, you know, pack it in paper and you take it home so you can cook it. And like the, the snow all around the booze is just red with blood. So it's very like the, the color scheme is on point for the holidays because it's all red and white, but it is. It's just very brutal, but at the same time, there's something about that that's kind of weirdly charming too. It's it's horrifying and charming at the same time. Um, and there are people who who like say like, oh no, that's not fresh enough. So what they'll actually do is they'll buy the carp and they don't get it killed there. They take it home in like a bucket and put it in their bathtubs, and they'll let the car carp live in their bathtubs for the last like week or so, uh, like taking baths and showering around this carp swimming around their feet. <laughs> it's really fascinating. It's such an interesting thing. Um, and so that's like definitely kind of one of those things where when you first hear it, you're like, that's so weird, but it makes, you know, some sense that you're, you know, having fish for this sort of final meal. There's also this sort of idea of you're doing, you know, why not confront the sort of sacrificial nature of a holiday like this, right? right. Um, if you're going to have the return of the sun, you got to, you got to you know, shed a little blood for that, I guess, you know, and you got to work for it. <laughs> yeah. It's really, it's, it's just an absolutely fascinating thing. It's, I think it's not all that uncommon throughout uh, a number of kind of central and Eastern European countries to have similar sorts of things going on. So it's definitely a weird thing. See, I love, I love Eastern Europe because like on the surface, it can be very like pretty and they have like, you know, very like ornate cookies and things like that. And like mm -hmm. this beautiful, like textiles and whatnot. But then also there's like this really intense, hardcore, like super metal nature underneath Eastern Europe. where just like, like, yes, beautiful <laughs> holiday feast of fish. Now allow me to murder it for you um, <laughs> before you take it home. And then the, the taking it home in a bucket and then putting it in my bathtub. I am not a person who can do that. <laughs> I would have pet carp. After that, I, sure. I would name it Tammy and then I wouldn't be able to eat it. 
and then we'd be screwed. Um, I that's why too. Like I, like they can't give me my own crabs or lobsters or whatever to take home to boil it because then I have a pet lobster. I get attached very quickly, and so that would not be able to work out for me. So so when you were in living in Prague, because mm-hmm. you're one of the most interesting people I know who says things like you know when I used to live in Prague, um, did you did you get a car? We did. We did indeed. Oh, yes. Did you have them do it or, or did, or did you, we had them, it? we had them do it. We did not do the bathtub method. We had them do it. We actually have photos. Uh, my wife was a, is a photographer and took some really amazing photos of this. Like, like I said, it looks, you know, it looks like kind of like a longshoreman, like with these like knit caps and everything, mm-hmm. scruffy beard. But he's got like a cigarette dangling out of his mouth. that's half lit and burning down as he's pounding on this carp with a wooden stick. And it's just like, you sit there and you're like, I don't know that I've ever lived such a real life as this moment. And there's that very like visceral experience of that. So yeah, no, we definitely, we did that. We had our fried carp. Uh, we actually had um, Christmas Eve dinner with a Czech family um, that we, we met while we were there. Um, and they kind of explained some of these traditions and things to us. They also have an annual tradition of watching. There's like a TV movie every year um, that will tell some version of a Christmas story, but it's always very kind of esoteric and weird. So there was this, <laughs> the one that we watched that year, like it was, I think if I'm remembering correctly, it was kind of like um, they were trying to do like a family portrait in heaven. Um, and like Joseph was feeling really upset because God was, was the dad <laughs> in the photo and Jesus was not. <laughs> and Jesus oh, no. was like, no, this is my real dad. And so Joseph was like, well, what's my, what's my place in all this? And so like, it's sort of like, no, it's okay. You have a place in this family too. Come be in the photo. <laughs> it's really cool. It's, 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 you know, I'm laughing about it because it seems so strange, but it is really, really cool to have these kind of interesting stories and like, they're like, so they don't have a Santa Claus. They have uh, what's called Yeezyshek, which is an invisible flying baby Jesus that comes in, um, not only delivers your presents, but decorates your tree for you at the last minute. Um, and, and he can do all this, not because he has an army of elves, but because he has an army of Roman soldiers, um, invisible Roman soldiers who follow him everywhere and do his bidding. So like, it's, it's a different kind of experience, but it's, it's a fascinating kind of turn on that mythology. And I'm like, I love it. I, I'm, I'm here for whatever kind of weirdness you want to throw at me in the holiday season. I'm, I'm there for it. I'm very into this. Okay, we have an invisible flying baby Jesus that yes. decorates your tree and has our own soldiers. Okay, I went to Burning Man once <laughs> and had a very similar experience. Okay, so tell me tell me about this. Okay, so an invisible baby Jesus is... Mm-hmm. So we're getting into like ghost Jesus territory, right? Because I, like, yeah. sort of. Yeah. Uh, because we're, we're, we're working with this idea that Jesus is dead and has gone back to heaven and now has come mm-hmm. back. So in, in a sense, this is this is ghost baby Jesus coming to deliver presents and decorate your tree at the last minute. Right. So the children will all get called into another room and they'll like, you know, be playing games or whatever. And then somebody will um, ring a bell. You'll hear a bell ring. And that's the signal that Yizhishek has appeared and has come and decorated your. And it's usually not like the main family Christmas tree. It'll be like a small family Christmas tree that's in a different room. And it'll be, you know, decorated with some ornaments and lights. Sometimes it's just candles. Uh, sometimes it's just bells or like strings. Um, and then there'll be your presents kind of all around. And they don't, you know, they're not doing presents at the sort of like, I mean, I think in America, be, being the sort of capitalist country that we are, it's sort of like, you know, do, do you have your, you know, Harley Davidson parked under the tree wrapped up with a bow or right, you know, here you children have, have some Xboxes. Like yeah, we, we got you, we got you, we, we, we knew you liked Xbox. So we got each of you one, you know, that kind of a thing. Like this is much more like, Oh, what a lovely book I've received this Christmas. And it's like, it's fine. It's, it's just, it's that approach. It's that kind of a, it's just a different mentality about it, which I think is great. There's, there's a lot of good to that. So that yeah, that's, that's, that's what they do. They, they have that and they'll usually unwrap some of the gifts on Christmas Eve and stuff too. You know, my mother could have really used something like that back in the day because my mother has is very big at Christmas. Christmas is a is a big deal for her. And so part of it is decorating the Christmas tree. And she she likes her her tree decorated in a very nice manner. So when we were growing up as children, um, we we got taught very early, you know, how to decorate things nicely and not just, you know, put all the ornaments on one branch like children tend to do. And so I think when we were children, that would have been a great kind of escape for her to be like, oh, go in the other room. Oops, look, it got decorated. <laughs> uh, that might have <laughs> look how beautiful it is. Easier when we were tiny children, <laughs> just throwing <laughs> handfuls of tinsel at one very specific spot on the tree and nowhere yes. else. The tree starts to slowly tip over yeah, <laughs> with tinsel yeah. on one branch. So not to completely go to the left, but since you brought up 
being in Prague for mm-hmm. a certain amount of time, I, I simply have to know, did you ever visit, I believe it's called Castle Huska? Um, I, I don't with the, know. What, with the pit to hell? No, I did visit Kunahora, which has the, the ossuary, the, the bone church. Is oh. That, yeah, I'll, I'll send you pictures at somebody. It's amazing. But no, I haven't been to the, <clears throat> like a hellmouth kind of a place. Yeah, there's a place. It's spelled H-O-U-S-K-A. I've been told that it's Huska. It looks like Hauska. Um, mm. But it is a, a big castle that's built with its defenses pointing inwards mm. instead of outwards, like, you know, normal castles would. It's, it's pointed inwards at this giant gaping hole that's in the mm-hmm. center of it. And there's all this lore about, like, when, they, when it first opened, things fell out of it. Um, they lowered... Um, like some men into it who were prisoners and they're like, we'll shorten your sentence. If you let us lower you into this bottomless pit and they're like, cool. (laughs) And so like they lowered them down like really far and then just heard like screaming and then pulled them back up. And they were suddenly like old Mm. and like had like all this gray hair and were like aged and they wouldn't speak about what they saw. And then they like would all die several days later, but they did this several times to people just to see what would happen if it would continue to happen. Um, so definitely look into that. It, uh, Astonishing Legends podcast did a, a pretty, I think they did a couple part series on it because they like to do yeah. like pretty deep dives on it. Um, so it's, it's very strange. There's like saints involved too. Um, I believe it's a Saint Ludmila is yeah. part of it. Um, so yeah, it's a very strange place. I have to go to the Czech Republic because they're very neat mm-hmm. over there. Yeah, they have a lot of fascinating, fascinating lore, fascinating traditions for sure. Yeah, no, I haven't been to Ushka. Um, that's if I had known that was there, I would have that would have been a day trip for me for sure. I'm very into that kind of thing. And you know, you know, one of the things that my uh, podcasting partner and I do, we have another podcast where we do Buffy the Vampire Slayer um, recaps and stuff. And the Hellmouth is such a central part of that storyline and mythology. It would be great to like be like, hey, I've been to a Hellmouth, <laughs> right? <laughs> for sure. Well, then that way, you know, that could be like a field trip for your podcast, you know, and and then in that way, it's also a tax write off. I'm very into those these days. Now that I, I like, have my I like, own business it's like, you know, let's go to Prague, visit a Hellmouth. That's now a business expense because we fantastic. have a Hellmouth podcast. I love that. That's fantastic. I love that. Brilliant. Very clever. So uh, rapid question here. Do you have a favorite Buffy holiday episode? Pangs. It's super complicated, super uh, messy, um, but it's also really funny. And um, I don't know, like, I don't know. It's kind of fun watching, you know, watching Xander, who has been kind of a tool at times, you know, suddenly get swamped with all these diseases that Europeans brought over, <laughs> you know, and it's sort of like, hmm, you know, I'm kind of into that. And it's definitely a messy episode, but it's it's probably the best one in terms of the the. Um, story and the acting and plus you have you know spike and he's just deliciously delightful so so what about you do you have a favorite um you know i don't but that is one that i'm actually just about on the verge of talking my husband into doing with me is the whole buffy series because i used to watch it when it was like actually on tv when i was a lot younger um and it was very influential i mean in formative years i am very much a i feel like a willow type character um Mm -hmm. but we have to um He's not one for real long series, but I think we're there. I think he's 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 he started talking about it more and more. So I think we're gonna we're gonna go there because it's, it's just good. it's really it's, it's pure just nineties awesomeness, and I love that idea. Kind of like you know both in Buffy and in Charmed, it's it's like yeah, there's all this supernatural stuff happening, but it's really about them just trying to live a normal life while all this stuff is happening around them. Mm-hmm. And I, I always kind of like that. That's yeah. on things. <laughs> yeah. It's also, it's also a big metaphor in those series. And I love, and yeah, it's very, very enjoyable for that. And it's also funny. That's what's great. It's, it's, it's actually, yeah. you know, it's not just freaky um, supernatural stuff. Cause some of the supernatural stuff can get really kind of like overwrought and overdramatic at times. But mm. when you have that balance, like supernatural did a pretty good job of like incorporating humor into it as well. So you yeah, know, those kinds of shows charm does that, that does that too. So brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know where we digress there, but that's great. <laughs> that's great. So, uh, you know, note for all of you folks, watch Buffy. You know, it helps, mm-hmm. um, especially around the holidays. So in a lot of places, especially kind of, I, I feel like this might be, you find more in Eastern Europe, but we'll, we'll find out in a moment. Um, you know, there's a lot of stuff in the United States about, you know, if you're good, then, mm-hmm. you know, Santa will will bring you some toys but like if you're bad you know you get coal and that's like the worst thing that happens to you but if we go into other countries there's um there's some negative reinforcement here for those 
who are who are bad. Um, do mm-hmm. we do you do you run across that much? Do you have one that's like yeah. this one's particularly? I would be a very good child in this country. <laughs> Some of them <laughs> get kind of scary. It's weird. The further the further north, the colder your your country gets kind of, I feel like the more terrifying your winter monsters become um, because there's a lot of them kind of like if you're in the Alps, there's a lot of interesting figures. If you're moving kind of into uh, Scandinavia, there's some interesting figures. Even in America, you know, we do have, or in the United States, I should say, not in uh, America, but like in, in the United States, we have um, some really interesting figures. Um, you know, that you said the cold and switches, that's very much kind of derived from this figure that would travel around with St. Nicholas, the sort of Krampus-like figure, which goes by a lot of different names there. Um, and we have a version of it where basically German immigrants, um, you know, kind of needed to needed to have that figure, but also, you know, kind of mashed it together with the St. Nicholas figure. So you get the Belschnickel here in Pennsylvania, which um, is this kind of big, hairy, furry dude. Um, and, a, you know, big broad rim ha- looks very Odin like um, shows up with his big bundle of sticks and says, you know, OK, well, have you been good? And if you if you haven't been good, then. I'm going to have to beat you with these sticks. But if you have been good, then I'll uh, throw this candy or oranges or whatever, you know, treat on the ground so you can pick it up and I'll just try to beat you with the sticks. And it's a slightly different thing. Right. Um, and so the bell schnickel um, and usually the bell schnickel was played by somebody in the community who would then sort of the parents would have informed on all the things that their children did. <laughs> so, so you come in and be like, were you good? Yes, I've been good. Well, why, why didn't you do your chores last week? Little Johnny. <laughs> <It's> like, ah! <laughs> How do you know? How do you know? Oh, my Bell's God. Good? So that exists here. It's actually, there's this whole tradition called the Kinderschreck, um, kind of out of German uh, history, but it appears ever in a lot of places, um, which is the, it basically means a child terrifying figure. It's this like um, thing that's there to sort of be a boogeyman, um, be a, a thing that sort of scares you, scares you straight, so to speak. Right. Um, and of course it doesn't actually do that. It, it you know, it, if anything, um, it makes you high, it makes you lie about the things you've done wrong so that you won't get caught. Um, but you have, you know, Krampus is probably one of the best known ones who looks kind of like a big devil, long tongue lolling out of his mouth. But there are uh, figures. Um, there's uh, Smirt in the Czech Republic, which is basically death. It's this sort of the figure of death that travels around. Um, you've got Pierre Futar in parts of France. Um, you've got, um, oh, who am I thinking? Uh, uh, Nechtruprecht, who you have in parts of Germany, moving into sort of the, the lower Netherlands. Um, you know, all these kind of different figures that show up and they're, very, very like, you know, they're all, it's, it's a good thing St. Nicholas is there with them on the leash most of the time because he's kind of keeping the, the the bad stuff at bay. But then you also get these figures called the Perksen who show up in the Alps in Austria. And uh, actually, I've got some photos. I'm going to show them to you, but I'll kind of describe them to, um, uh, to, to your listeners. They're usually kind of dressed as kind of old women. Um, I don't know if you can see them there. Um, they're kind of dressed as these kind of old women, very kind of witchy looking and everything. They're, they're sort of thought to derive from the goddess Berkta in Teutonic mythology. Um, and they will kind of wander around um, doing a lot of the same things. But um, there are versions of them. Uh, so there's one called the Schnabel Perkson, which uh, we actually are talking about in our holiday episode too, but I, I love her. Um, and she is, if you sort of picture uh, that same thing, but instead of a sort of witch's face, it's this kind of long conical bird-like mask over her face. Um, there are some versions of her that are called, uh, there's some Lucy, St. Lucy's type figures that also do something similar, but um, these, these Schnabelperksen will show up at your house and they're carrying their brooms. And one of them carries this big pair of scissors, like a, like think huge pair of scissors. Right. Um, and they'll show up at your house. Uh, and it's important that these are usually, usually also young men kind of cross-dressing as well, which is an interesting kind of dynamic when you think about it. Um, and they'll, you know, go through your house. And the idea is, is if your house is clean, um, then, then you get blessings and protection, but they'll kind of go through your house and look at everything, make sure that everything's clean and they don't say anything except while they're there, they'll kind of tut at you. They'll be like, as they're walking around your house. And then they'll start like knocking over your potted plants and making a mess on your floor. So they mess your house up after you've cleaned it for them. And then you have to clean it again before the, the new year, right? So it's sort of like double cleaning your house for double blessings and protection. Um, but if it's too messy, then the one with the scissors will sort of chase you around. And the idea is that related to this figure, Berksta, uh, um, who was known as the belly slitter. So if your house wasn't clean, she shows up and she says, well, I've got to have a place to put all this dirt. I've got an idea. 
and she'll <gasps> slit open your belly and take all the dirt and the stuff that you didn't clean up and cram it inside of you. <laughs> and that's your Christmas gift. Happy holidays, everyone. <laughs> that is so hardcore and so, hardcore. so witchy. <laughs> It is. Oh, we have a witch. Of course, we have La Bafana. We have Christmas witches and things like that, too, that wander around. So That is so neat. See, those things, especially like you're talking about like the colder countries, I feel like <laughs> we sometimes, I think sometimes kind of Midwest culture here in the United States is similar to where like places that get like the really intense cold snap just breeds really just strong, intense people who can do this, this stuff. So especially in like the super far North places like yeah. that, that get just so icy cold, the sort of hard living um, kind of gets just, just put into the DNA. And, and I love that that comes out in like really metal holidays. Things like <laughs> it does. That. Um, yeah. Like Iceland, they have, uh, they have Grilla in Iceland, who's very similar, that kind of belly slitter, but she'll steal your children. And then the children sometimes become the Yule lads who come around and like mess up your house at, at the holidays. And there's a Yule cat that'll, that, um, you know, sounds really cute until you realize it's, it's going to eat you, right? But it's a giant oh, cat no. that comes around to eat you at Christmas time. So, so yeah, all these kind of like horror fantasy creatures that show up during the winter season, especially like if it's really cold and you should be inside. Mm, there's probably a monster to deal with that problem. So, yeah. Well, especially, you know, there's, especially in these Northern countries, it's so dark for so long during that time, you know, not just kind of, you, you know, uh, around here, you know, the days are shorter, but once you get up North, these are times where you have total darkness, almost 24 seven for yeah. a lot of these places, which has to bring about some eeriness with yeah. it. And this kind of long night idea and the bell schnickel, uh-huh. The they cut this large man shows up and whips you if you've been bad and then throws candy on the ground for you to pick up if you've been good. I know several people who would pay good money for this um, <laughs> to have a large hairy man come do that to them. So the bell shickle should should really kind of monetize this or, or there or is there is indeed them. I think there needs to be an a bell schnickle only fans uh, subgroup <laughs> yes. going on there that makes a lot of sense. I'm sure there's probably something on Reddit already set up for this. There always is. There always is. Um, one other one that you brought up kind of briefly there was St. Lucy. Yeah. And I know that in some countries they have Christmas specific things with St. Lucy where she, sometimes she's blind or, or has a donkey. Is this something that you've, that you've come across too? Mm-hmm. Right. So the St. Lucy festivals, it kind of depends on where you are. Um, you know, as you move into places like Sweden, um, uh, you know, the St. Lucy festivals, you know, it's, that, that's really kind of a celebration of kind of young women. They'll dress all in white and they'll have the, the wreath on their head with all the lit candles. Um, and they're sort of paying attention to kind of her as this sort of winter maiden figure bringing in the light, um, fun, funnily being blended very heavily with some sort of um, pre-Christian pagan elements. Um, when Lucy herself obviously was very like, the whole thing was that she didn't want to marry a pagan, right? <laughs> She's like, no, you can rip my eyes out. I will not marry him. And they do. And her eyes grow back miraculously. So, um, so yeah, so there's a lot of that kind of stuff that kind of uh, factors in there. But then you have, you know, the, there are other people that go around with these, these little luskas um, that are like the, the young children that represent um, trolls or, or gnomes or elves that are kind of dancing around with them. So you can really see kind of a blend of, of numerous cultures going on there. But then, yeah, as you kind of move into more, I think warmer territories you'll have, um, I think there's even like a, a baked treat that's sort of supposed to resemble St. Lucy's eyes uh, in, in one country. I can't remember which one. I feel like it's Italy, but I, I, I could be very wrong on that. Um, but they're these kind of like rolled buns that like they look like little spirals on either end. So it sort of looks like St. Lucy's eyes. Um, and the idea is that you have, you know, you're sort of... Um, you know, celebrating her, her willingness to give that part of herself up. So there's a lot of interesting Lucy traditions. The saints, saints really throughout the holiday season are kind of some of the, the big badass saints of, mm-hmm. of the Catholic calendar. Cause I mean, you start with like St. Andrew back at the end of November. Um, there's all kinds of fun lore about him where you're doing fortune telling and divination um, in sort of on his evening. Right. They'll do the like dripping candle wax or lead into to water to fortune tell there. You got St. Lucy, you have St. Nicholas um, early on. We do St. Nicholas in our house where you leave your shoes out and the, the, you get candy in the shoes. But if again, if you've been bad, Krampus is there, right? Um, you have uh, Guadalupe shows up here as well. She is righteously badass, uh, kind of in the middle of all this. You've got the Immaculate Conception going on here. Like 
I mean, it is kind of a like who's who of the Catholic calendar. At this it really point. is. Like, yeah, it's pretty great. I dig it. <laughs> oh, that is so interesting, and I like that you bring up kind of that they do sort of like a like pastries or or, or whatnot with the the Saint Lucy's eyes. And there's so much lore specifically around her eyes because, you know, and part mm-hmm. of the story is that, you know, depending on what version of the story it is, you know, they part of her martyrdom is that they they take out her eyes or or sometimes she she takes them out herself because, you know, saints are intense like that. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing that we do see is sometimes in different types of folk magic, especially in like Latin American countries, if we we have uh, Los Ojos de Santa Lucia. Um, which are, are the eyes of St. Lucy that people wear as jewelry mm-hmm. to protect themselves. Mm-hmm. And they're, they run the gamut from like an actual pair of just like eyeballs staring at you that people will just like pin on themselves as like a brooch to like very beautiful pendants that are kind of this, like you're talking about kind of very kind of spirally put together. So right. it's more of an abstract interpretation of eyes. Um, so there, there's so much that comes with St. Lucy. You're talking about the other saints too and having the divination aspect of it mm-hmm. and that stuff that always creeps in. And that's something that always I find fascinating about saints is because the, the, the church itself is very anti a lot of this stuff, but, but the, the, the saints and the work around the saints always suddenly turns folk magic very quickly and it's very yeah. odd like that. So I, I love that. Yeah, no, you have like the, yeah, the protective quality of the eyes, of course, like the very kind of anti, anti evil eye charm sort of thing going on. And St. Lucy is a good one for that, mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, interesting, interesting stuff. And I, I actually do feel quite a bit of a difference if I light a candle to her before divination, like if I'm doing tarot or something mm. like that, I'll light a candle to St. Lucy sometimes, especially if I'm needing a little extra um, help on it. Sure. And I, I do find it helps a lot. Well, that makes sense. I mean, she, you know, would definitely be a good kind of like, you know, insight. I mean, obviously mm-hmm. she's very literally kind of that. It's funny because like, I think I would do uh, Sinclair just because mm-hmm. she has the sort of you know, connection that sort of, uh, you know, projected vision power, but St. Lucy makes a whole lot of sense when you, when you kind of frame it like that. So I, I dig that. Yeah. There's a lot of them. And yeah. And doesn't St. Claire or Clara, I think it depends on where you're, you are. Mm-hmm. Um, isn't she one of the ones with the lantern? Uh, I don't know. I'd have to St. look Claire's. at her iconography. Yeah. I don't remember. I don't remember having the, the lantern in the iconography. I, I would not be surprised if she does. And I just totally missed it because I'm just kind of focused on specific aspects of her, but you know, <laughs> there's, there's so much to every saint and every, and there's yeah. also so many of them to keep straight. <laughs> so, sure. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you never really know which one's on the, on the tip of your brain there. Um, so going into some of this stuff here with the, with the holidays, is there, is there one that you've found particularly heartwarming is is there one that you've kind of been like oh that is the sweetest thing or wow this is something i wish we did more of over here or yeah i don't know like there's a really strong like animals thing that happens around this time of year and i I mean i love animals um so there's like a there's lore about like if you wait till midnight on christmas eve animals gain the power of speech for a very brief period of time so um you can kind of listen and learn uh what is you know what is the the animal saying, you know, um, and, and usually it's kind of, you can only hear them at that point in time, but I really like that, that little bit of lore. And then they also have, you know, the Yule Bok, which is this Yule goat that goes around and delivers, you know, it's, it's actually kind of related to Thor's uh, mythology, but it's delivering presents you know, at the time of year. So I really love the kind of like animal based lore that you wind up with here. I, th- I saw Laura de Vila um, today was posting about um, the little sheep um, bracelets that you can give away um, as a sort of like you, you give away these little sheep bracelets as, as a way of blessing somebody else, but in, in turn, like you receive a blessing too. And I, I just, there's just something about I don't know, the animals, animals are kind of the best of us in some ways. And I really love anything that sort of uh, elevates and celebrates that, that aspect of things. So I find that to be a really, really um, enticing part of the holiday. I do love that. And I love that you bring up Laura too. So for those of you who don't know who Laura is um, on Instagram, she is at Daphne La yes. um, friend of mine. Absolutely adore her. We're going to have her on the podcast at some point. Um, she's actually been posting a lot about nativities mm-hmm. from like Mexico specifically and how they always have things in them that you don't tend to find, you know, especially in the United States or like one of which is like a hermit, hermit. Yes. that uh-huh. is there. And then the other one that we really don't tend to add to the nativity is the presence of Satan or, you know, the mm-hmm. devil kind of off in the distance watching it happen. Do, do you, do you come across this, this stuff too? And like weird nativity stuff? 
Yeah, I mean, certainly, like, nativity scenes are such, they're so oddly constructed anyway, right? So, like, if you look at, like, a crèche scene or a nativity scene, you know, depending on where you are, it kind of tells you something about the mythology of the world that you're in, right? Um, and nativity scenes, you know, one, we, we know, we understand, like, astrologically speaking, uh, you know, in terms of the calendar that we get out of any kind of, like, biblical scripture, Jesus is not born on December 25th, no. and the three wise men are not there in the in, in a stable, like watching this happen right like this is all spaced out over a very long period of time um we think probably he was born uh, if you know if you're following kind of any potential historicity then he's born in um the spring at some point and the wise men wind up coming a good bit later to bring in these gifts and things like that so this the whole idea of the the nativity is this essentially super compressed version of the story but it's a really beautiful version of the story and so you do wind up with like um, the friendly beasts, of course, you have all the animals that are surrounding in the major. And there's even a, 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 um, a song, a holiday song that talks about like all the animals saying like, you know, the things they want to bless this little baby with. And, mm. you know, again, because they can they can talk on Christmas. And so, <laughs> so, yeah, so you have um, in the angels, of course, which <laughs> I always love talking about the angels because, you know, the way we present it, like the Charlie Brown Christmas, you know, Linus on the stage being like, and lo, there were shepherds and the angels appeared unto them and said, be not afraid. And you're like, oh, that's so sweet. But then when you think about like what biblical angels actually look like, right. makes total sense. that Their first thing is always, be not afraid. I know I look like a thousand eyed monster from hell, but it's cool, man. It's cool. We're all right. <laughs> right. The first time I read an actual description of what a cherub is supposed to look like, because in, in most like, you know, classical media, cherubs are like these naked babies that are just like little wings and they're like the sweetest mm -hmm. little thing. You know, cherubs are terrifying. They got like a was like a head of a horse and a lion and yeah. like huge like wings. The and wings, I'm like, yes. I'm like, no, thank you. No, thank you. <laughs> yeah. If I was a shepherd out there in the middle of the night, I would not not be ready for that. Um, no. And you're right. The nativity story, it's, it's one of my most favorite stories, but you're right. It's the nativity scene itself is so compressed. And I was actually reading um, a book by uh, a Lutheran pastor who I adore named Nadia Bulls-Weber. And she was talking about the, the nativity story as well and how everyone is attempting to keep Christ in Christmas so much. And she made some interesting points. And, and one of her first points was about keeping Herod in Christmas yeah. because we don't realize that <clears throat> this very sweet, peaceful nativity scene is happening during one of the darker moments in world history, especially yes. in that area. And during that moment was also the, the commanding of the, the mass genocide of, of baby boys under the age of two, right about that time as right. well. So the world was not a peaceful, happy place that Jesus entered into. It was actually, he decided to arrive during some of the worst time that, yeah. that had been there. And I think that's kind of an interesting message. And the other thing that she points out too, is she's like, first of all, like, uh, you know, later stories or songs or whatever, you know, the, the three wise men in, in the Bible itself, I don't believe it says how many there are mm -hmm. and they're identified not as Kings or anything like that. They're identified as Magi. Mm -hmm. And she's like, these were pagan soothsaying astrology doing <laughs> like mm -hmm. these were the first people to kind of show up at this scenario and i i kind of like that idea i i would like kind of a, a more realistic retelling of the nativity we're just like or maybe like a modern version where just like a bunch of like romani people show up there kind of the people mm -hmm. that you know the church itself probably wouldn't be expecting um mm -hmm. at that time to be there at that yeah. and i'm like that's such an interesting message that the the mystical people who used astrology to find them or some of the first ones to show up. Well, it would make sense because, you know, if you see a new, a new star appear in the sky, of course, the people that are going to notice that first are going to be the people who are like, no, we've been looking at the sky every night for like 50 years. That thing is new. Something's going on and we need to find out what it is. And it makes total sense that they, you know, the, that these kind of astrologer, uh, astrologer, priest, astrologer, magicians are going to be like, yeah, that seems important. Let's go figure that one out. And then they wander through the land and they're like, huh, this king is like killing all the babies. And I think we've stepped in something that maybe is not so great. And so then they get the message like, go back a different way than you came. And they're like, that sounds like a great idea. Let's do that. And so they, you know escape thankfully but yeah of course they're going to be the ones who see this stuff of course they're going to be tapped into that and there you mentioned herod i love that you mentioned herod herod is actually a major part of like medieval christmas plays um because you know christmas 
we have the whole, I love the, <laughs> the Christ and Christmas thing. There's a whole plethora of problems there, but, um, but the whole, like, uh, you know, back in the sort of medieval period, they would have these kind of passion plays that would happen on the church steps during the sort of, uh, you, it was during the Yuletide season, but it, before Christmas looked like what we think of it as Christmas. And they would have these plays where literally you would have figures like Lucifer or Satan, um, on stage, Herod would be there and would be this kind of deformed, evil looking King, uh, you know, and some of these become some of these figures that we think of as sort of like the Krampus and things like that. They're not, they're not necessarily like dating back to like pre-Christian Teutonic mythology. Sometimes they're evolving out of the way that these plays are performed. Um, and so we see these, these kind of really interesting figures that are there right from the beginning as the church is talking about this nativity and like, no, no, there's, there's some monstrous things going on and that's such a big deal. And then, yeah, the whole Christ and Christmas, I'm like, let me tell you how they felt about Christmas during the colonial era <laughs> because they weren't fans. <laughs> they were like, this is a really heavy drinking and gambling holiday and maybe we shouldn't do it. So, <laughs> it's so, yeah. true. Christmas is like, is like the Vegas holiday. It's just lights and booze and how much money can you spend? <laughs> yes. Yeah. The Puritans were like, no, we'll have none of that. Thank you. Exactly. Zero. <laughs> like, we will actually outlaw Christmas because it is so heathen. <laughs> and we can see how well that worked. So, <laughs> oh, yes. The debauchery continues. Absolutely. As it always does. Well, I think it's interesting that you bring up, too, that a lot of the stuff about, you know, like the devil being there or whatnot, you know, was brought forth by things like plays. Mm -hmm. And, you know, theater and whatnot. And, and I do find that we do have that a lot when it comes to lore about the devil. You know, a lot of things that people believe, you know, how the devil works is brought on by things like, you know, like Faust mm -hmm. or, you know, that aren't actually like religious documents, but things that were, you know, stories or plays or, or whatnot like that. So it's, it's an interesting thing to, to wonder how much of what we think we know about these spiritual beings is was brought on by essentially media of the time yeah you know? of course yeah. yeah right you're right that's a really good way of looking at it actually is it's these kind of like popular conceptions that um, you know are coming from folklore so there's kind of a folk belief because the faustian legend does not you know originate with goethe it's it's circulating in culture for hundreds if not uh, you know much longer than that you know years um, but yeah, he kind of creates this popular version of the Faust legend. We have, uh, you know, these, these holiday passion plays where then you have these other figures that enter culture as well. So yeah, you're right. It is, it's kind of, it's, it is kind of the Fox news of its day <laughs> kind of spreading the, <laughs> the war on Christmas as it were. So. A little bit, a little bit. But I do think that, you know, adding in these, these figures into these kind of very, you know, what, what people try to make a very beautiful moment, like the nativity adding in, you know, Satan or the devil or something like that. I, I do think adds an interesting layer to it. Um, a, a movie that kind of represents a little, I mean, you know, Mel Gibson, notwithstanding um, the, the passion of the Christ mm -hmm. where they added in the devil as a character in it, mm -hmm. I thought was just nicely done. I'm like, sure. Okay, here yeah. We go. yeah. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of slipping in there, you know, surreptitiously. Yeah. Yeah. It was excellent. All right. So before we we kind of wrap this up here, I, I want to know a couple of things. First, uh, you strike me as a person that may or may not have dressed up as Krampus at one point in their life. Has this happened for you yet? So I haven't specifically dressed as Krampus. I've dressed as a Belsnickel and I've dressed as um, uh, uh, Smirt, uh, the Czech version, um, which is just kind of, it looks like a kind of a giant white bird figure. Um, so I've done those when I've been in the parades of spirits, but I have not done Krampus specifically because usually there's like 50 of them there. So like, <laughs> and I want to stand out, damn it. So, <laughs> so I go for I the, like, the weird ones. How often? Well, I guess, I mean, it's not like you're constantly dressed as a Belschnickel, but I mean, do, do people come up to you and go like, oh, you must be Krampus. Does that happen to you a lot? Uh, when, when you're dressed like that, people, people kind of look at you and go like, well, what are you? Because, because you don't really look like Krampus. You, you know, you uh -huh. look hairy for sure, but it's more like you know, look more like a bear. And I use that in, in every iteration of that term. Right. Um, so you look more, you look more like that. I um, mean, you don't have the big lolling tongue or the horns coming off of your head or anything like that. So people don't make that mistake particularly, but, but it is interesting. Like people are kind of sort of like, well, wait, what are you? Like, I, I don't necessarily know what you are. And so sometimes it takes a second to be like, well, I'm a Belschnickel. And fortunately there's a TV show called the office um, where a character on that show is a Pennsylvania German character. And there was an episode where he dressed as a Belschnickel and kind of ran around the, 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 the building. 
So some people will actually know what that is, but but it's rare that people will know that. So that's good. That's good. Um, second to last question here. What do you think that those of us in the United States could learn from or maybe should adopt from some of our holiday brethren above as far as traditions or maybe ways of looking at things? Um, what, what, what do you think that we have to learn from our, our fellow holiday people? I mean, I, th- I, th- I think that it kind of depends because I think there's a, there is the big camp of like, you know, keep the Christ in Christmas. And I'm not saying that you eject, you know, whatever sort of theology or mythology you have associated with it. I'm not saying like, you know, we're out to disprove the sort of Christian component of the holidays. It's, it's there for those who want it for sure. But a sort of recognition that this is not, it's not a, a couple of days for most places that have this kind of a celebration and really going back, you know, about 2000 years at a minimum, um, for a lot of places, there is a whole season of this stuff. It starts in November, runs into January, right? Um, that really, this is a, this is a seasonal thing and it should be a seasonal thing. It should be a really long period of time. And you don't need to try and build up all the stress and compression of like, I have to get all this done by December 25th. It's like, you know what? If your packages don't arrive until December 28th, that's fine. It's still part of the season, right? Um, we kind of, you know, get compressed by that because of work schedules and things like that. But I know it's very, you know, that's not that's not really the point of it. The point of it is, you know, reveling in the sort of there is light in even the darkest of times, right? And and some of that involves, you know, telling the scariest stories you can possibly imagine because it's okay. You can be scared and still have that hope and that, that, you know, goodness. And we've had, you know, we tell ghost stories and things like that. People have been doing that for forever at Christmas. So this is the right time of year for, for doing that. Just, you know, space it out over a season, really revel and enjoy all that. And don't feel like you got to get all your cookies baked by December 24th or you're a failure. You're not, you're okay. Just have, have a little peace this season and maybe scare, scare someone a little shitless too. Like that's, that's, that's what I would say take away from this. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I love that because you're right. It's, there's so much more to this whole entire season than just December. I mean, it kind of feels like we cram all of this stuff into the month of December. And then after the 25th, you know, we kind of like have this big explosion on the 25th and then you're kind of just dazed and full of cheese until new year's (laughs) that like weird, like five day period that you don't know what day it is, what's happening. And then new year's happens. And then there's just this wasteland until valentine's day like right. so to kind of extend that out a little bit have it be like okay like yes we are still in winter let us continue celebrating winter throughout this oh 100 yeah stuff goes right into like epiphany like you know i have a tradition where like all my decorations need to be down by epiphany um you know there's the all the fortune telling that goes on at new year's i mean there's so much stuff there's you know the the, the grapes you know is obviously a big one um, watching the weather and stuff like this is so much stuff that you can really and if you're magically inclined there's, I mean, I, I, I would almost hesitate. I would almost, I would almost wager that you could probably pick a day. You could have an advent calendar if you wanted of magical things you could do that would run you through this entire season, really starting from late November all the way into January, just because there's so much, there's something almost every day that you could pull from magically. And yeah, it, it yeah, just so much stuff you can get into. I, I think that should be your next book should give us holiday winter things oh, to do. Man. Oh man, that would be great. I would love that. <laughs> I, I have that as a request for a book. And I also came up with another one the other day that I, I would like you to write, which is just a, a, a book on magic concerning the use of sibs. Because there's oh. so much, there is so <laughs> sure. much how often those things come up in folk magic is, sure. is astounding sometimes. <laughs> You'll really enjoy, uh, so you, you know, I know, and you know that you have worked on uh, an essay in Llewellyn's big uh, complete book of American folk magic that's going to be coming out next year. We've actually got somebody in there, um, uh, Al Cummins, um, who is a New England uh, cunning man. And he has a whole thing on Coscanomancy, uh, which is the sieve, use of sieve uh, and shears for divination. That's a whole chunk of his section. So you'll you'll dig that when that comes out. That is so neat. That is so cool. Yeah. All right. So last question. Where can everybody find you, keep up to date with you, get all get all the Corey that they need? Where can people find you? Well, once again, I am Britton Boyd and I'm at Archaic Honey <laughs> on Instagram. No, you should follow Archaic Honey on Instagram. But if you are already following the amazing Invoking Witchcraft, the amazing Oregon Wood Witch, and the amazing Archaic Honey, and you just need more content, 
and why wouldn't you? You can always follow at New World Witchery. That's us on Instagram. That's us in most places. I think Twitter's the only place where we're different, where it's at NW Witchery, because we couldn't fit fit it in all the characters when we first signed up for that. So and newworldwitchery.com. That's our website. You can find the podcast, uh, like I think 200 plus articles on folk magic uh, and all of our social media accounts and everything. They're all linked there. Wonderful. And definitely make sure to pick up Corey's book, New World Witchery. It is just, it is enormous and it is full of all kinds of amazing things. I love this book. I have it sitting here right next to me. I cannot imagine what a feat it was to finish this book because I I saw the pictures of you with the the stacks of your research material that was bigger than you were. (laughs) Yeah. I could have built a book coffin if I wanted, but that's, yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> that might be as writers, how we go out is just a, a book coffin or a book avalanche. That's just how we go. <laughs> I, I love, I would love, I would love it if we were like saints in those medieval churches where they just keep our sort of uh, freeze dried bodies kind of in the alcoves of the library and people can come up and like rub our bony finger for, for reading luck and research help and stuff like that. That's, that is my request upon burial notes. <laughs> Right. Exactly. I love some good, like writing necromancy. I have, I have some, I make like Novena candles for when I'm having trouble. So I'll have like a Shirley Jackson or, or, or now like an Anne Rice or, um, uh, all these people. (laughs) And there's all this lore about whether or not Shirley Jackson was a witch. Maybe we'll get together and we'll get a Ouija board and we'll, we'll contact Shirley. Oh, I love that plan. Love it. All right, Corey, thank you so much for being here with us today. Thank Have you for a me. wonderful rest of your day and happy holidays to you and everyone else who is listening. Happy and holidays, remember, thank you. Oh, do, do witchcraft. Is do it do witchcraft? witchcraft? Do yes. witchcraft, okay, there we go. <laughs> support for this podcast comes from our listeners. If you would like to support Invoking Witchcraft with a one-time donation, please go to invokingwitchcraft.com backslash donate. Or if you'd like to become a premium listener, join the coven at invokingwitchcraft.com backslash coven. There you'll get access to our exclusive Facebook group for discussion and connection, as well as access to occasional workshops. We hope to see you there.